Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, Go AU Fur. With me this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. I have returned from the moving graveyard. Uh, we've got Blake, Iowa Gopher. Game week, game week. And you street. Hey y'all, I also just want to briefly note, because this is an audio medium, that Andy, while moving, somehow managed to break his headset. But because he changed his best... He is currently wearing a headset that is taped together, a la Steve Urkel's glasses. And for that, we are really thankful that he is able to join us tonight. Well, way to go, Andy. It is magical headset. Got to play Hurt. Got to play Hurt. <laughs> All right. So uh, as Blake uh, so excitedly mentioned, it is game week. Football is officially back, not just in the practice sense, but in the actual game sense. I... I could go superlative on that for a while, but I'm just needless to say I'm I'm very excited as well. We're going to start this off the same way we would start it off every year. We are going to go right to Blake. Let's get into a South Dakota State preview. Wow, it just just feels good to be talking, you know, substance, not just conjecture. Although some of this will be conjecture, but uh, South Dakota State, so they're an FCS program. Um, we have not seen them. It's kind of like a ten year reunion. When the last time we saw them was I think 2009. Yeah, ten years ago. Um, against Tim Brewster. I think the Gophers won 16-13. I think this game's going to go a little different. But uh, South Dakota State's a little bit better than they were then. Um, they're a perennial FCS contender. They've, I think, haven't missed the playoffs since 2011. And last year they got 10 wins. They were 10-3, made it to the semifinals, and lost um, to North Dakota State, sadly. And actually two of their three losses last year came, in, came against North Dakota State. So South Dakota State was pretty good. Um, the good news is that their record-setting quarterback, um, Taron Christian, he's a three-year starter for the Jackrabbits, is gone. Uh, replacing him will be a redshirt freshman. I, I think his name is difficult to pronounce. Jabor Gibbs, I think, I think Jabor is the name. Um, but he has not taken a collegiate snap. They've got three guys um, at the quarterback position. Only one of them, I think, has taken like a handful of snaps. So... Um, new face there. That's the good news. The bad news is pretty much everyone else is back. The offensive line, it returns, you know, four or five starters. Uh, they returned five of their top uh, leading receivers from a season ago. Um, the biggest name being uh, Kay Johnson, who was actually an All-American wide receiver for him last year. He had 67 receptions for, I think, about 1,300 uh, receiving yards, 17 touchdowns. So, um He'll have a pretty good uh, arsenal at his disposal. Um, they also have a good ground game. Pierre Thomas, um, he's a redshirt freshman last year at, I think, 1,100 yards, uh, 11 touchdowns. They got a couple younger guys behind him, too. Um, so there's a lot of talent on offense. Um, I expect they'll probably try to run it a lot to take some pressure off of um, Gibbs as he kind of gets the feel for things. Um, 
but it's definitely not going to be a walk in the park for defense coordinator Joe Rossi. Um, we'll kind of see what game plan he has. I always, I'm always a little nervous, but you know, season openers just because there's some unknowns. And um, I think Flex said this week in his pregame uh, presser, you know, everyone's kind of filling each other out that first quarter, seeing what they're going to do. That's when they kind of throw some new wrinkles at you, and they're like those final three quarters are when you actually kind of start to game plan for what they're doing. So Joe Rossi will have his work cut out for him. You know, the the good news is that their quarterback is gone, but still a lot of talent around him. On defense, um, they do have a lot of returners as well. Uh, it's a pretty strong unit. Um, their captain is Christian Roseboom. He's their senior linebacker. He led the team last year with like 105 tackles. 10.5 tackles for loss, three forced fumbles, two interceptions. He's pretty good. Um, he's just a guy that just has a just plays nonstop. He's like the hardest worker on their team. You know, all, all the uh, platitudes you want to throw out there. Um, they do return all four starters in the defensive line. Um, their top guy being defensive end Ryan Erith. Um, he has about, I think, five sacks last year, nine quarterback carries. Um, but I have heard that he has a tendency to disappear um, a lot during games, and I think that that may very well be the case with, with since he'll be matched up against either Daniel Flayley or, from what we've been told, a very improved Sam Schluter. Um, and I do think, I don't have the exact numbers, but I know the Minnesota offensive line heavily outweighs um, the South Dakota State defensive line. Um, so it could be a potential mismatch there. Um, there could also be another potential mismatch in the secondary. They lose both starting safeties from last year and, and their best cover corner. Um, so you got one returning starter who's a, who's a senior, cornerback uh, Marshawn Harris. So there could be some potential there for Tanner Morgan to find some creases in the coverage with you know either finding Tyler Johnson or Rashad Bateman so there's definitely holes that they may be able to take advantage of on defense this is I mean it's pretty strong defense but I ultimately think that if Minnesota can get the ground game going early with Rodney Smith or Muhammad Ibrahim um, behind the mountain of men that they have up front I think it could be a pretty long game for South Dakota State so so Long story short, offense is a lot of talent. Um, not going to be easy for them to contain, although if they can make them one-dimensional, frustrate their young quarterback, um, should be pretty easy pickings. Um, and then on offense for the Gophers, I think they just need to kind of exert their strength against this defense and wear them down. I guess the two thoughts I have when I read your preview and then some of the conversations we had internally among the staff, first of all, uh, I believe the, the stat you're looking for is uh, from our own slash OTE's own white speed receiver. Uh, Minnesota's offensive line outweighs the defensive line or defensive front, I should say, of uh, South Dakota State by the weight of their middle linebacker. So <laughs> that's a great, great, great stat that I hope uh, Fox Sports 1 is constantly talking about tomorrow. Uh, to Rosenboom is a fantastic name for a defender. Yeah, and he's got he's that classic like long blonde hair type of guy. It just looks like he's probably you know, like his nose has been busted several times during the season. He's just that classic, you know, white guy middle linebacker. Thank God, because if he was like clean cut or you know wore a bow tie or something that just clashed entirely with Rosenboom, I'd be so disappointed. That name screams mullet to me. Yeah, I'm surprised. A little surprised he doesn't, but he's got the length there. So if you want to turn into a mold, I think he could. Yeah, that's just a personal choice. He needs to embrace his name and go mullet. I think. Uh, you know, Street. What what do you think is going to go right for the Gophers against South Dakota State? 
I mainly, I think a lot of things are going to go right for the Gophers. The two that I'm most hopeful for is that they win and no one gets injured. Other than that, I'm not sure what else you take away from playing an FCS team. And I know the South Dakota State fans or whatever will argue that they're a better team than that, but until they move into the FBS, then you derive no actual benefit from playing this game. I'm not honestly sure why the Gophers are even playing it. So what should go right is the size advantage on the offensive line relative to the defensive front means that the Gophers should get a lot of yards on the ground. They should be able to put a pretty small playbook out and successfully get yards up and down the field, and the Gopher front seven on defense should live in the backfield. Andy, what are you looking forward to as as things that, uh, you know, the Gophers should be doing well on Thursday night? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we all are excited about uh, Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, and the Gophers airing it out. But I think, you know, the bread and butter is going to be what they can do in the ground game. I'm going to be really looking forward to seeing uh, Rodney Smith back in uniform and, and hopefully getting uh, meaningful carries for the Gophers. Uh, hopefully seeing Muhammad Ibrahim pick up where he left off a year ago. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to see, at the, at the end of the night, I'd love to see that, you know, they both ended up going for about 100, 150 and even get... Uh, get whoever that's going to be third string, whether it's whether it's Bryce Williams or whoever gets some carries and, and gets some yardage. Um, it looks like from the depth chart that was released today that uh, Shannon Brooks isn't going to be quite ready for week one, which is not really a surprise. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But, uh, you know, I, I love to see this, uh, this go for offensive line, especially the right side of that offensive line, just ground away. Uh, the Jackrabbits, and just see the Gophers sort of dominate the line of scrimmage. Um, then if Tanner Morgan wants to find uh, Johnson and Bateman for some nice big games, you know, I'd be perfectly fine with that. But uh, let's let's show we can dominate in the trenches first, and then we can do the flash later. I'm going to actually kind of carry over uh, a type of question and a little bit of our flair from last week's uh, full optimism podcast. Blake, turn it back to you. If you had to have a homer take, um, a big homer take for this game, um, what would it be? Uh, that the secondary shuts down um, their receiving core. So this is a really talented wide receiver core. And I, for some reason, I think um, some of the media types seem to think there's a lot of questions um, with Minnesota's secondary, although I thought they, they finished last year strong, end of last year strong as a secondary. And that was even without Winfield. You know, Howden kind of had figured things out. Um, they did have, you know, Jacob Huff back there, and he's gone, so you kind of slide Winfield in. But um, I think this is going to be a big test for them, and I honestly think that they're going to pretty much smother them for the most part because I just think they've got a lot of talented guys. You know, they got Tony Durr, um, Terrell Smith, Chris Williamson. Um, I just think there's a lot of names. Also, the transfer from Michigan, um, I think Benjamin St. Juiced. Uh, looking forward to seeing him out there. Um, Keandre Thomas. There's just so many, so many talented guys out there. Um, in that core, I just I have a hard time imagining them, you know, not performing well. I mean, they very well could, but I think the homer take would be that they shut them down. Street, I'm going to kick it your way for the same question. Homer take for for uh, Thursday night? I don't really know if I have a homer take that's more homer than the take that I put on or will be putting on the blog. I think the Gophers should win this game relatively easily, and they should be playing the second string in the for most, if not all, of the fourth quarter. That would be the homer take. Andy? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, I, I agree with Street. If the, if the homer take, if things go well, that, uh, you know, the Gophers dominate and, and it shouldn't be a, a, shouldn't be a game much uh, into the fourth quarter. 
Um, you know, Minnesota should have better talent on all sides of the ball. They should have the speed. They should have the size. It's just going to be, uh, can they execute and use their advantages? And if, if that's the case, which I think it will be, uh, hopefully, you know, it'll just be a lot of garbage time in the fourth quarter, um, which, which is going to be fun too, because it's going to be fun seeing the guys that, you know, we most likely won't see come big 10 season time, but it'll be nice to see some of these younger kids, uh, potentially get uh, get in and make an impact in the in the limited time they're going to have yeah that's a, that's a good point we really because we didn't really have a game last year where we totally garbage timed anyone in the beginning of the season did we um yeah, the, the, thir- the thursday night opener would have been the closest we had yeah new, new mexico was in new mexico state yeah yeah, we yeah you're right. We did garbage time them in the second half pretty well, because um, that was that's that's part of the adjustment for me of of uh, the new redshirt rule in its second year is really getting used to the fact that they actually can choose to use that time to to play true youngsters and get them a game or two, and then save it and then decide how they want to manage that in case they need them for injury reasons later in the season. So. Yeah, no, I mean, for example, some of the players who we might see, who we might not necessarily see, um, might be either uh, Cam Wiley or Trey Potts getting some carries um, if, if they're, uh, you know, up big enough, um, especially if you're expecting Shannon Brooks to come back. They probably, you know, barring epic injury disasters, which, of course, we've seen into our running back core, um, they shouldn't be seeing any more than four games. Um, you know, it would be interesting this will be interesting to see and we'll see who we really think is the second string quarterback is, you know, do they, do they let Tanner, if, you know, again, we're talking best case scenario, but if the Gophers are up three, four touchdowns in the fourth quarter, do you let Tanner play the entire game or do we see our first, uh, first snaps from either, uh, Jacob Clark or, uh, or, uh, I'm completely blanking. Cole on. Kramer. And... Thank you. I'm completely blanking on Eden Prairie's own Cole Kramer. Um, because in the on the depth chart they're listed as or for the second string and I I you know I'm sure PJ Fleck has decided who will be his second string quarterback but I don't think he's going to let any of us know until we absolutely have to know. All right, uh, we've you know we talked some homer take. Let's let's trend negative for a brief moment. If something's going to go wrong, if we're going to see the Gophers struggle in some fashion, I'm interested in where each of you kind of think that's going to be, and uh, I'm going to turn it back to you, Street, to start us off. Assuming the Gophers struggle, they're going to struggle because their initial offense and defensive schemes are inadequate against a team that has a lot to play for and nothing to lose. To give South Dakota State credit, they are supposed to be a very good team this year. They've had a lot of historical success. The danger and why I don't like these games at all. The danger of bringing in that kind of team is that they do know how to play sound fundamental football. I would suspect, especially because you've got a lot of new parts and the Govers have a lot of new parts, that if things are going wrong, the base idea in how to attack is incorrect. And that means that while, like P.J. Fleck, I don't believe in momentum, it does mean that the Gopher offense will be off the field very quickly and that South Dakota State might get a couple quick scores. I have yet to see Minnesota be a team that could even approximate on a good day against a mostly empty defense. 
a Oklahoma-like performance so that they could just go down the field very quickly in under two minutes and score. So if they got down, I don't know, 10, 14 points in the first half, something like that where they had to claw back, that strikes me as the worst-case scenario because until proven otherwise, I do not believe this team is built for that. Andy? Yeah, you know, I think uh, if we're going to see any weak link, I think it's going to be the uh, the two position groups on defense where there's uh, depth, but we don't necessarily know the, the strength of that depth, uh, especially the interior D-line and uh, and in the secondary. Obviously, uh, your, your safety is you get Winfield back, but, you know, Jordan Howden looked, uh, looked decent at times last year and looked lost at times last year uh, at the safety spot, and you've got uh, a couple of uh, untested players behind him. Um, you know, the cornerback spot will be interesting. It appears nobody has really absolutely won the job, or at least PJ Fleck doesn't want anybody to know they won the job as, as all five corners at uh, the two outside and inside corner spots were listed as, or on the depth chart, um, which, you know, you'd kind of like to see somebody maybe run away with that job. That, that could be a, a question. And then you've got that interior defensive line. You know, you've got, uh, Keontae Shad, a Juco kid, um, you know, will he, will he beat out Sam Renner, who's a, you know, walk-on turned scholarship player from, from Egan? Um, you know, there, there's definitely some questions there, and, and we know South Dakota State, at least in the past, has had a, has had a decently high-powered offense, and so uh, if the Gophers can't get a pass rush and the secondary has some holes, then yeah, a couple of quick strikes, and all of a sudden you're looking at uh, clawing your way back rather than you know, getting out to a comfortable lead and, and sitting back on that on that passing offense. So um, that's where that's where I'm going to walk to see if we can get a decent pass rush, if we can get uh, good interior D line coverage, and and hope that the secondary can do its job and not let anybody get loose behind them. Blake, where if you were uh, feeling negative, where would you turn your eyes uh, for Thursday? Uh, I would not be surprised to see the offense start slow, um, specifically with Tanner Morgan. I think it's just inevitable he's going to make some errant throws, some bad decisions. I don't think he's going to be nearly as polished as people would like, um, but who may, who is ever satisfied with quarterback play. Um, but, yeah, I, I would not be surprised to think, see things maybe a little bit out of sorts, especially you know with whatever defense um, South Dakota State comes out with. Um but, yeah, I think if there's going to be struggles, it's going to be Tanner Morgan because, I mean, this is only his second season of college college action, so there's still a lot of, a lot of long ways to go in his development, and I just think I would not be surprised if even, you know, when he's got Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, things don't go exactly according to plan, at least in the early goings. All right. Well, that means it's time for predictions. You'll get to see the entire staff's predictions tomorrow on the Daily Gopher, or I guess today probably when you're listening to this. But here are the, the four of us, uh, time for four of us to make our, our calls. Blake, let's start with you. You know, South Dakota State, they're a good FCS program. Um, in the games they've played against Power 5 teams the last 10 years or so, they've been at the very least competitive. But in those games, I believe that they're 1-7. and seven. Um, I don't think they're going to add to that win column um, come Thursday night. I think the Gophers will take care of business. I think it'll probably be maybe a little too close for comfort uh, for a lot of Gopher fans, but I mean, in the end, a uh, win's a win. Oh, oh, score, yeah, 34-24. Andy? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still on the page of that uh, I think this is a semi-dangerous offense from, from the Jackrabbits and that the Gophers still have some things to figure out. And, 
you know, I, I think they'll put up some points. Uh, but I also think this Gopher offense, while, you know, some of us sounds like they think they're going to start slow, I think they're going to be uh, pick up, especially in the running game where things left off last year. So I think they'll uh, they'll score a few more points. Um, but, but South Dakota State may stick around longer than uh, many Gopher fans would like. I'm going to go uh, 38-24 Minnesota. Street, how about you? Minnesota scores a special teams touchdown. Then they score three touchdowns on offense and a field goal that is set up by a defensive play. The second stringers come in and give up some points. Minnesota 31, South Dakota State 10. I'm going to say Tyler Johnson has two touchdowns. Uh, The Wildcat definitely bags at least one more. And the Gophers walk to a fairly easy victory, 37-14. Oh, we didn't even talk about Seth Green. That's kind of, that's a little sad. We... He needs his respect. Hey, I'm just realizing, did he get his own position preview, or did Gopher Nation just totally uh, leave the Wildcat out of it? Uh, that was definitely an oversight by Gopher Nation. Thank you for bringing it up. It's disrespectful, honestly. Uh, th- this is why we were forgetting. It's because our fearless blog leader also forgot. So, Seth Green, we see you. We believe in you. We're looking for you to do that magic inside the five thing you do and score all the Wildcat touchdowns. Um, well, it's about time to hear from our sponsors, but before we do, just a little preview. When you hear, when we come back from uh, our commercial break, we're going to talk about the East River Flats tailgate situation, the disaster that almost was. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, I'm, I'm feeling ranty, so I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Street here in just a minute and let him sort of host this final segment of the podcast. But before I do, I simply need to say the Minneapolis Parks Board, idiots. Idiots or jerks. Very, very big jerks. I'm trying to keep a clean rating as best I can on this podcast. All right, Street, I'm, I'm turning it over to you because i got to get my rant, my ranting face on. Yeah, For those of you who are not highly invested in local Minneapolis politics and or tailgate lots around TCF Bank Stadium, you may not have heard of this. For example, you could be a person who lives in a state very far away from either Minneapolis or, by consequence, TCF Bank Stadium, and you would have no idea why it was that several of our commenters and bloggers uh, were very, very displeased because uh, for a brief window of time today, the East River Flats, which is a place for which several of our fearless blog leaders, including Chris and Andy, regularly tailgate, along with some other members of the blog cohort, uh, was shut down for tailgating by the Minneapolis Parks Board, which may or may not be an independent agency of the city of Minneapolis. I don't live there anymore, so I don't really know. This decision was reversed almost uh, immediately as far as government is concerned, so within a couple of hours. And uh, as a consequence, head on a swivel from Blake, who also doesn't live 
in Minneapolis and myself trying to figure out what was going on. Chris, you had some thoughts that you wrote up, and I need to assure everyone, because Chris is making me, that they were very good thoughts when it was written down. <laughs> what, did, uh, what did you think about this situation? Uh, I'm a little sad that I didn't get to use it only because I had a really great four-part GIF reaction using the anger character from Inside Out, and I was really proud of that. Um, but look, at the end of the day, the biggest problem with the decision was that it was so capricious. It, it, it came out of nowhere, and it's not as though Minnesota fans tailgating before a Gopher game was a new thing to the Parks Board. It had been going on for seven years. It's not as if the uh, schedule was a giant secret. It's been published for a long time. This clearly was not something that would have been decided just overnight. They, they would have had to make this decision previously. And yet the announcement comes 48 hours before, less than 48 hours, honestly, before tailgating would have opened. And, you know, that alone, I think, is cause for people to be upset. Um, I think if you're going to be a public uh, agency uh, with public funds, you should strive to be slightly more accountable than, hey, we're going to tell the people using our space out of nowhere that the thing they've done for years is no longer available to them and do so by a Facebook post that many of them aren't going to read. Uh, but on a very practical level, if you're somebody who tailgates and you were not already uh, getting a spot through the U at one of the limited spots near the stadium or one of the limited spots on the West Bank, you literally had nowhere to tailgate on Thursday. Normally the state fair lots are the U's uh, kind of game day or come as you want uh, tailgate lots. You don't have to have a season pass to be in uh, the state fair. You can just drive up on a game day and tailgate and take a shuttle over to TCF Bank Stadium. But the state fair is going on. Those lots are, are now reserved for at least you know this first game for use by people at the state fair. So you would have literally had nowhere to tailgate. And I think that's where you get the especially large amount of angst from Gopher fans is not only for all the other reasons I mentioned, but simply for the fact that if you're Andy and you're going to the game on Thursday, you can't tailgate. And you couldn't have any way to have prepared for that by choosing to try to find some alternative, limited as they may be, through the university because you were given no opportunity to do that. So, uh, you know, I guess sort of kudos to the park board for delaying and saying this whole football season will be left alone as is for tailgating in East River Flats. Uh, but I'm definitely going to be turning, you know, a large portion of my post was going to be how folks could uh, efficiently and successfully try to lobby the parks board to reverse this decision. Thankfully, that wasn't necessary. But I think what you're going to, what I'm going to try to put out on the blog is a, a focus on Clearly, there is some element within the Parks Board that thinks this is the right idea. I would not be shocked if this is the decision. If this is the decision the Parks Board wants to get back to, so I'm going to try to focus on how can Gopher fans, most importantly, Gopher fans who live in Minneapolis, because these are elected officials in Minneapolis, they're not going to care if I, a dude in Cincinnati, write an impassioned plea for my tailgating. Uh, how folks can effectively lobby. Uh, the members of the Park Board Commission to avoid repeating this mistake come next spring. 
Chris from Cincinnati was a sadly failed HBO pilot after John from Cincinnati, but I would like to turn to my favorite part of these kinds of conversations, which is that Andy was on Twitter and uh, found some sort of crazy people, but also a really great conspiracy theory that the reason why this shut down was because of uh, the regatta that apparently exists around East River Flats. Andy, would you care to comment? Well, it, it, it's a combination of things, but one of the uh, one of the main at-large members of the Minneapolis Parks Board has a large role with the Minneapolis Rowing Cub Club. Uh, the Minneapolis Rowing Club put on a large regatta in uh, early November last year that was based out of the uh, U of M rowing facility down at the East River Flats. Um, which, you know, I'm not sure who scheduled what first, but of course it was the same day as a, as a uh, gopher football game day. And um, it was a bit of a cluster down there because you had not only everybody wanting to tailgate and sit there for gopher football, but you had everybody poke, poke, uh, parking their large trucks and big boat trailers and things like that. And it was it was a bit of a cluster. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if this one Minneapolis Park Board member who is a, has a large involvement with the Minneapolis Rowing Club uh, had some decent-sized piece of something to do with this to uh, ensure that that didn't uh, inflict in the way again. But, um, you know, before we get to the, the crazies who are the, who are the people who are talking out against this online, um, you know, it, it, it just it's a, it's a fundamental flaw of how, you know, the U of M and the city of Minneapolis, they try and get together, but they just can't seem to get it. You know, from from everything we've been hearing, uh, the athletic department and and was completely taken by surprise on this decision today. Um, and one of the reasons why it may or may not have been rescinded is apparently there were several people who were complaining to the U of M athletic department, and uh, whether it be Mark Coyle or one of his one of his underlings, uh, apparently they they got uh, to the city and basically said, "Hey, uh, you can't do this with." 48 hours before the first game, knowing that they were going to have nothing but people blaming them for they had nowhere to park with the state fair closed and, and not being able to uh, find other options prior to the game on Thursday night. So, um, you know, I think that just goes to something that, that the city and the U really need to try and work together. And, and as we said, you know, we've complained about the university parking and transportation services, and, and the Minneapolis Park Board is a separate governing body. It has nothing to do with the city uh, you know, governmental offices, they are their own, they are the own thing as, as the Minneapolis school board is, is the own thing and things like that. They are elected, um, just like city council members and school board members are. Um, and, and I, I say this as a, as a dar, diehard Minnesota liberal, but, uh, most members of the Minneapolis parks board are too liberal to get elected to the very liberal Minneapolis city council. So they run for parks board instead. Um, which then brings up some of these sort of fun people who, who reside with them, who we've pulled out on Twitter that, that Street can talk a little bit more about here in a minute. But, um, you know, it, it is something that we, we have this season as a reprieve, which is good, but um, I would not be shocked in the least, like Chris said, that if we, we find out next spring that this decision is made, again, that they're going to be shutting it down uh, because there's enough people who want to try and actually see that park space be used on a, on a Saturday for random other things, even though I've never actually seen that space be used as, as park space other than a little bit on the trails. Um, 
So the, this will come back around uh, for sure. It, it's it's definitely not going away forever, um, but at least it will buy us some time in the uh, for these seven home games this season and uh, will allow us to uh, not have to try and find something else to do. Um, you know, especially going along with the city of Minneapolis that they technically have a city ordinance that tailgating is uh, not allowed on private property, when, in, except for with about a four-block radius around uh, TCF Bank Stadium. So, um, oh, some, you mean uh, you you mean US Bank, right? Well, I I I thought they switched it to it was a little bit in TCF too, but I I guess I'm not 100 sure. Either way. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the city of Minneapolis is not very tailgate friendly at all. So this was a spot that we could find that wasn't U property and was working. And if they're going to take this away, um, whether it be the University of Minnesota, whether it be the city of Minneapolis, somehow somebody's going to have to come together and try and find some type of compromise because uh, the the demand is there. The supply is just dwindling quickly and quickly, especially if uh, some of these larger University of Minnesota research buildings start getting built closer to those back lots behind TCF Bank Stadium here in the next few years like is supposedly planned as well. Honestly, why they don't bring the wire back just to have a season about the Minneapolis City Parks Board is unclear to me because there seems to be many, many interesting <laughs> any plot lines there. I, I not to not to not to be too sarcastic about this, I actually do think it is a very strange decision. It's particularly strange uh, before a situation where lots of people are going to try and show up somewhere. Also, a very long time ago, I attended the University of Minnesota and have been to East River Flats. I recall that most of the people who used the East River Flats when it was not being used for tailgating were people who were perhaps trying to see a different kind of world than the world that they were currently living in, uh, but otherwise uh, not too many because it's in fact rather difficult to get to if you don't have a car, which may say something more broadly about the public transit problems in Minneapolis, for which I'm sure the follow-up season to The Wire, Metro Transit, will be able to cover in all of its glory. We did, however, uh, find a couple of things. And when I say we, I, of course, mean Andy because I don't go on Twitter. Uh, I just have Andy do it for me. Uh, so I have a couple of, of things here, one of which is uh, we're not going to read any of these Twitter handles. Uh, but suffice it to say, if you really weirdly feel like you want to go find these, uh, I suggest you search on Google. Are you sure we're not going to read the one? Not, not even the one that's ban SUVs? I well I I wasn't going to attach the Twitter handle to the to the post. I'm definitely going to read it. So one of them is uh, the this person is ashamed of the park board for going back on the decision after two hours. This presumably East River Flats is supposed to be a park, not a parking lot. We incidentally here at the podcast, and I want to explicitly note that this is Blake's viewpoint especially because he is deeply invested in this and could without any difficulty whatsoever find the east river flats on a map absolutely that uh (laughs) i we've been informed mostly by blake but perhaps also from chris that the thing that is most often parked in east river flat is a goose feces not uh, not anything else, uh, and there's very little there to do. I would suspect that, and it's possible we're casting unnecessary aspersions, but that this particular Twitter follower has not been to the East River Flats Park uh, very often, if at all. 
the second one uh, saying that our parks shouldn't be used for vehicle storage. The Minneapolis Parks Board had it right two hours ago, which admittedly is probably a reasonable political opinion to have in general, though, again, not exactly a, a park that is particularly valuable for anything, honestly, other than parking lots. And uh, finally, the one that I really like, uh, that for reasons that I think are actually unclear, it doesn't have as, as many exclamation points as it should. Uh, so the Minneapolis Parks and Rec Board I issued a, a tweet that said, Mia culpa, we heard you. We didn't realize how significant the impact would be to fans, which is hilarious, by the way. We will allow parking and tailgating for this football season, and we will revisit this decision over the winter, as Chris and Andy mentioned. Uh, we will communicate the status of tailgate parking in the spring, presumably also on a random Tuesday when no one will be paying attention, I suspect. Anyway, a response to this particular tweet, so a reply, uh, this is the one that I feel like should have more exclamation points. Cowardly. Way to cave to people who will likely drive drunk after the game. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a real nice, uh, real nice hold. I don't know. That was that one was nice. I, and the thing that really bugs me is that I, I look, I love, Cincinnati has honestly one of the better metro park systems, I think, of a city its size. And I think... I think city parts are fantastic and should be well utilized, better funded, all those things. This particular piece of land, as it stands, isn't used. It's just a it's just an empty grass space. There really are only about a half dozen, maybe ten picnic tables in the entire place, and it it it's it, it's just not used for anything as a park, to my knowledge. Now, look, I've already said I live in Cincinnati. I don't see it on a day-to-day. If there are legitimate, like, there are things that are being affected by this parking, they try to hold events and, you know, the parking causes damage that affects these events that are held on a regular basis. I want to know about that because I think that's the sort of thing that needs to be accounted for and talked about. But I just do not get the feeling that that's where this is coming from. I think it's... It's coming from something else, and that's where I'll be writing a post about trying to get folks involved with the decision process and getting people to, to meetings or calling their commissioners because I think this is the sort of thing that if discussed rationally, there's not really going to be a reason that for seven games a year for eight hours a day having some cars parked on, especially especially when a, if, if I really want to lament the, the lack of tailgating or a lack of people interested in tailgating at times, the thing doesn't fill up until an hour and a half before the game. Like it's not even the full eight hours. People are in there for four hours. Most of them. So uh, can I say something? Uh, I know uh, Blake, please as noted goose follower, Blake, let's go. I was going to say, I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear how passionate I am about this issue. And, you know, I probably wouldn't have gotten um, any sleep tonight if it hadn't been resolved um, in the way it was. But, uh, in my opinion, it boils down to one thing, and this is bulletproof logic. You can't spell parking lot without park. <laughs> and with that, go Gophers. Sky you ma. Row the boat. Go Gophers, row the boat.